Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 108, Justinian the Great. The ancient capital of the Roman Empire was back in imperial hands. The eternal city, after which the empire was named, may not have been strategically important, but it was symbolically vital. Justinian's great general, Belisarius, though, knew the battle for Rome was far from over. As soon as Vitiges found out that he only had about 5,000 men, the Goths would be back. And Vitiges soon found out that he only had 5,000 men, and so the Goths were soon back. They began to lay siege to the city. Belisarius wrote to Justinian asking for more men. Soon 1,600 Huns and Slavs arrived and began to occasionally attack the besieging Goths. Then another 5,000 men arrived. Belisarius had what he wanted. Most commanders would have launched all of the new forces on the besieging Goths, but Belisarius was better than that. He sent 2,000 men to take Rimini, a city just 33 miles from the Gothic capital of Ravenna. When the Goths learned the imperial army was so close to their capital, their morale dropped. They decided to end the siege and go back north. The imperial army was free, and Rome was still in their hands. Belisarius marched north, but realised he needed even more men if he was going to have a chance of taking the rest of Italy, so he wrote to Justinian again. Theodora, though, was becoming a little worried about Belisarius. The general was so popular, surely he was going to try and take the throne from her husband. She persuaded Justinian to send the troops only if they were led by the imperial bodyguard commander Narses. Narses was told to keep an eye on Belisarius and make sure he didn't do anything silly. 700 legionaries arrived in Italy with the old man. Pretty soon, most of Italy had fallen to the empire. The tide turned, though, when the Goths savagely attacked Milan and retook it. They had all of the men killed and the women and children taken into slavery. The imperial army didn't try to save the city because the troops couldn't decide whether to follow Belisarius or Narses. Belisarius said they must defend the city, but the soldiers wouldn't go without a direct order from Narses. This stupidity led to the deaths of thousands of people. Justinian realised his mistake and recalled Narses to Constantinople. Belisarius now had complete command and only Ravenna and a few other cities were left in Gothic hands. Pretty soon, only Ravenna was left. Vitiges was in big trouble and he knew it. He did the only thing he could think of. He wrote to the Persian king Cosros and begged him to invade the empire, so Justinian would have to concentrate on a war in the east and take troops away from Italy. Justinian caught the messenger and read the letter. He was worried, so he sent a message to Vitiges offering peace and letting him keep some territory. Belisarius, though, was horrified. He knew he was nearly there. He knew he was about to conquer all of Italy and return it to the empire. He didn't want peace, and he certainly didn't want the Goths keeping any territory. Fortunately, Belisarius had that one thing going for him that all great generals need. And what was it? He was lucky. Vitiges received the imperial letter from Justinian and thought it was one of Belisarius's tricks. He sent a letter to the imperial camp saying he wouldn't agree to the terms unless they were signed by the general himself. Belisarius knew he needed time, so he said he wouldn't sign it unless he got an order from Justinian and he sent the ambassadors back to Constantinople with this message. At the same time, he sent a note back to Vitiges saying, no deal. Vitiges tried one last thing. He asked Belisarius if he would accept the crown and become Western Roman Emperor. If he did, then the Goths would be his loyal subjects. Many generals would have jumped at the chance. Many generals would have loved to be emperor. 
many generals would not have been bothered about what the real emperor had to say about it. Belisarius, though, was completely, totally, 100% loyal to Justinian, and he had no intention of accepting this offer. He did, however, pretend to accept it. The gates of Ravenna were flung open, and Belisarius and his men entered the last stronghold of the Goths. Pretty soon, the Gothic treasure and quite a few captives were packed into the waiting fleet and shipped back to Constantinople, and the Goths knew they'd been duped. One last trick from the trickiest trickster of them all had tricked the Goths and all of Italy had been reconquered. So, the Emperor Justinian had managed to tick off the eighth item on his list. He was now pretty popular, but he still wasn't able to tick off the last item. Things were starting to go a bit wrong. In May 540, Belisarius arrived back in Constantinople. This time, though, there was no triumph. Theodora was still suspicious of the great general and was sure he had really wanted to be Western Emperor. She never trusted him again. And in the east, King Cosros had invaded and captured Antioch. Just as everything he had wanted was in his grasp, Justinian saw it begin to slip away. He sighed, shrugged and sent Belisarius east to deal with the Persians. King Cosros I of Persia was one of the few kings of the empire's eastern neighbours who could ever be considered to be great. He was perhaps the greatest king that the Sassanid Persians ever had, and in 540 the great king invaded the empire and occupied Antioch. All of the treasure of the great city was loaded onto wagons and sent back to Persia. The Persian king was very pleased with himself. He was even more pleased when Justinian offered to pay him £5,000 of gold, plus 5000 more per year, for peace. Cosros accepted and happily tripped back to Persia. He wasn't finished yet, but he was satisfied with the treasure for now. Justinian wasn't finished either. He hadn't recaptured territory in the west just so he could lose it in the east. The emperor acted quickly. The imperial army was sent east to deal with the Persians, as it had already dealt with the Vandals and the Ostrogoths. Every soldier available was drafted into this eastern force. The Persians were already ravaging the rest of Syria, when an ambassador arrived and was brought before the king. I have met a general, he said, who in strength and wisdom is better than any other man. Yes, Belisarius was in Persia. He pushed the Persians back and was soon marching towards the gates of Tisiphon itself. The attack on the Persian capital, though, never happened. Instead, a greater army attacked both the Persians and the Romans. The plague had arrived. This outbreak of plague was the worst to hit the empire for many, many years. It began in Egypt, but soon arrived in Constantinople. It was said to have killed 10,000 people a day at its height. The worst recorded day saw 16,000 people die. The very worst news for the empire, though, was the most important victim. Justinian caught the disease in 542 and took to his deathbed. Theodora began to plan for Justinian's death. She was determined to hold on to power, and this meant marrying someone and making him emperor. The army, though, had a different idea. They decided it was up to them to choose the next emperor. When they heard how ill the emperor was, they assumed he was already dead. News travelled slowly in the ancient world, and it was very likely that Justinian had died before the generals even knew he was ill. They held a meeting, where they decided they wouldn't accept a new man wearing the purple unless they were in Constantinople and agreed to the accession. Reports of this meeting reached the capital, just as Justinian, to the amazement and relief of everyone, began to recover. He wasn't going to die, the empire was not going to need a new emperor, and the generals who had talked about it were in a great deal of trouble. Theodora flew into a rage and had the two leaders punished. 
One was left to try and survive in prison, while the other, who was too popular to be jailed, was stripped of his command and all of his property. This was the great Belisarius himself. He didn't deserve it, but he was in disgrace. The east was quiet. Belisarius and the plague had silenced the Persians, but the west was not quiet. No, it wasn't quiet at all. A new Gothic king had realised the five generals left in charge of Italy by Justinian were incompetent idiots. The new king, Totilla, appealed to the normal people of the old home province. The imperial tax system had hit them hard, and Totilla knew that many of them would be happy to accept and help a rebellion. There would be no more corruption, no more taxes used to build splendid palaces for the rich, and the slaves would be freed. Totilla was everything that the generals left in charge were not. He was young, only 25, compassionate and strong. Pretty soon he had gathered a good-sized following. The imperial defenders were no match for the Ostrogoths and their allies. Soon many of the recaptured cities, including Naples, were back in Gothic hands. Totilla treated the defending Romans and the population of Naples with compassion and humanity. He became a very popular leader. He wrote a letter to the Senate in Rome, where he promised to deliver them from the terrible rule of the empire and treat them as they should be treated. Justinian had, by this time, fully recovered and come to his senses. He sent Belisarius back to Italy, but because he and Theodora were both still worried about Belisarius's popularity, he only allowed him 4,000 men. It would take a miracle even to hold on to the few cities left, let alone recapture the territory Totila had conquered. Belisarius wrote to the emperor begging for reinforcements. If the sending of Belisarius to Italy were all that were necessary, then the preparations would be perfect, he wrote. But if you want to win, you must do more. Justinian sent more troops, but would not give Belisarius full control. The reinforcements arrived just as Totila reached Rome. The commander of the reinforcements would not do what Belisarius said and went off to recapture southern Italy. In December 545, Totila laid siege to Rome, which held out for about a year. Belisarius could not relieve it and it fell in December 546. Totila considered destroying the city, but Belisarius wrote to him to protest, pointing out how it would damage his popularity if he destroyed a city of such beauty. Totila gave up on his plan and instead evacuated Rome, taking with him the senators and sending the rest of the people into Campania. The ancient capital was left empty. Procopius tells us that only about 500 people were left. Then Belisarius took over the city, repaired the Aurelian walls and repopulated it, and Totila, hopping mad, found that this time he couldn't recapture it. Belisarius knew that he could win with enough men, and so he played his last card. He sent his wife, who was a great friend of Theodora, to beg the Empress to persuade her husband to send more troops. She arrived back in Constantinople, but found the capital sad and quiet, and the Emperor unable to see anyone. And why was this? What could have caused such a gloomy mood to fall over a whole city? Theodora was dead. Justinian was overcome with grief, but also realised his mistake. He recalled Belisarius to Constantinople and greeted him as he always should have done, as his friend. Never again would he distrust the loyal general. Belisarius became the chief adviser to Justinian. Narses was sent to Italy with 35,000 men in order to reclaim it for the empire. Totila had managed to recapture Rome yet again, the Gothic king, though, was killed in the final battle for the Eternal City and the Ostrogothic kingdom was soon destroyed. Italy became a full imperial province once more.
Soon after, some envoys arrived from Spain, begging for some imperial help in a revolt against the Visigoths in Seville. Justinian had no money, no men and no commanders, so obviously he said no. Of course he said no, it was clearly a silly idea. Anyone would say no, wouldn't they? Justinian, though, said yes, and sent a few hundred men, all that could be spared, commanded by a general called Liberius who was nearly 90 years old. Amazingly, Liberius managed to help the rebels reclaim a large part of southern Spain. During the last years of his life, Justinian got caught up in religious arguments between the Monophysites and Orthodox Christians, just like many other emperors, and took his eye off the defence of the empire. In 559, a group of Huns stormed into Thrace and got within 35 miles of the capital. Justinian just happened to have a retired general available, and Belisarius took command of soldiers one last time. He created an army out of guards and volunteers, with which he managed to ambush the Huns and send them fleeing for their lives. Belisarius lived the rest of his days in peace. He died five years later, aged about 60. The greatest, cleverest and most loyal general the later empire had ever known had served his emperor brilliantly for more than 35 years. Justinian the Great outlived Belisarius by about eight months. The greatest emperor since Constantine, and one of the greatest ever, had added more territory to the empire than anyone except Augustus and Trajan, and had built as many wondrous buildings as Hadrian. He ticked off all of the items on his action list except the last one. He was never truly loved by his people, although he was much more popular by the end of his reign than he had been at the beginning. It's certainly true that Justinian achieved great things. He's not known as Justinian the Great for nothing, and there would never be another emperor with the vision to attempt to reconstruct the Roman Empire as it had once been. But his achievements didn't last, and by spending so much in terms of men, cash and resources, he weakened the empire so that it was not in a fit state to fight back against new and powerful enemies. Not only that, his campaigns in the West destroyed the established Germanic kingdoms, which may have been in a position to resist the enemies of Christendom. By attacking and destroying these most Romanized kingdoms, he probably did more damage to Western Europe than it could take. Very soon after his death, his achievements began to crumble. Justinian was 82 years old when he died, and had ruled the empire for 38 years. He was buried in the Church of the Holy Apostles next to Theodora, and the people of the empire looked to their new ruler with hope and expectation. The new emperor was Justinian's nephew, the son of his sister Vigilantia. Flavius Justinus Junior was born in 520, in the early years of the reign of Justin I, and was married to Sophia, a niece of Theodora. On the 15th of November 565, he became the emperor Justin II. He was crowned in the Hagia Sophia by the Patriarch of Constantinople, the leader of the Christian church in the capital. He was the first emperor to be crowned there. All emperors after him would also be. Justin inherited a reasonably stable empire with no rebellions. It quickly turned into a very unstable empire, which was invaded on all sides by a huge variety of barbarians and other peoples. He also inherited an empty treasury. Justinian's conquests may have been glorious, but they had been expensive. There was simply no cash left. North of the Danube were a new set of different barbarian peoples. The Alans, Goths and Alamanni had gone, mostly into the old Western Empire, to be replaced by the Gepids, Slavs, Lombards and Avars. Some of these tribes were receiving money each year to keep the peace. 
the Persians were also being paid not to invade. The money they would run out. Either Justin would have to find some more, or he would have to stop paying up. Then, who knows what might happen? It was not a safe course of action. As it happens, Justin had no intention of paying anyway. He was a proud character, and faced with a big hole where the money used to be, he stopped giving cash to potential enemies. Immediately after his accession, Justin stopped paying the Avars, ending a truce that had existed since 558. After the Avars and the neighbouring tribe of the Lombards had joined together to destroy the Gepids, the Avars forced the Lombards to migrate west, and in 568 they invaded Italy under their king Alboin. They quickly overran the Po Valley, and within a few years they had made themselves masters of nearly the entire northern half of the country. The Avars then looked at the empire and decided they wanted a bit, so they smashed into Dalmatia. This was the perfect revenge for Justin's refusal to pay up. Justin sent his best general, the Count of the Excubitors, Tiberius. The army under Tiberius fought hard, but after three years all the men were exhausted. The new peace treaty cost Justin 80,000 pieces of silver. This was much more than he would originally have had to pay for them not to invade. Justin's policies were not going well. In 572, Justin also refused to pay the tribute to the Persians, which led to war. After two disastrous campaigns, Khosrows and the Persians overran Syria and captured the strategically important fortress city of Dara. Everything had gone very, very badly for poor old Justin, and it drove him mad. Not just a bit mad, but stark raving bonkers. It's reported he liked to be pulled around the palace on a little cart, just like a child. He would frequently try to throw himself out of high windows, and he often became very violent towards people in the palace. Only very strong men were allowed near the loopy emperor, as he was a big man and could do a lot of damage. He often ran away, and they would have to chase him and bring him back. When they did this, he would turn on them and bite them. Two of them he injured very badly, and stories began to go round Constantinople, saying that mad old Justin had eaten two of his bodyguards. It is not entirely clear how many of these stories are true, but Justin II and his people knew that he was not fit to rule. During one of his few less mad moments, the emperor was persuaded to appoint a Caesar by the Empress Sophia, and in 574, Justin gave a speech in which he handed over true power. It was a sad speech, and the people wept when they heard it. The general who had fought the Avars in Dalmatia was appointed Caesar. He added a name to his own and became Flavius Tiberius Constantinus, and we know him as Tiberius II Constantine. He would jointly rule with Sophia until Justin died. And after that, who knew? And next time we'll find out. So, until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.